we're seeing that the grace of God displayed most ultimately and clearly in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus, that this grace, this ill-deserved favor, that when we truly buy into it by the faith that God has allowed us to have, when we say, I I put my trust in you, I want to live my life based on what I believe about you, when we do that, this grace transforms us. We're given a new identity that our God has remade us in such that who we used to be still tries to cling to us and work its way out sometimes, but, but God is teaching us, and especially in Ephesians, how to walk in line with the new remade us that he has created. We've been memorizing this kind of synopsis that I've chosen, this kind of one-sentence uh, overhang of what would be meant in the book of Ephesians. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. We've been working on memorizing that together, and I think you're so good at it that I willingly, purposefully chose not to even put it on the screen today. All right, you're going to say it with me though, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it starts with the, there, the word therefore, okay? We're about to find out, people. It's time to put it on the line. Here we go, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. One, two, three. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. woo y'all did good. All right, I love you. I'm proud of you, right? God has done a new thing in us. The old is now dead, even though it tries to reach up from death to grab us and pull us down sometimes. And there's a new life living in us. Paul is telling us how to live that new us, specifically at the point that we are in Ephesians. He's telling us how it is that this remade identity we have impacts our interactions with those around us. We said last week that relationships that are unimpacted is a result of character that's been unchanged. That when we're truly transformed internally, it will show up in our relationships. Paul walked us through that last week in the relationships between husbands and wives. And now he's going to turn and point the focus onto parents and children. Now, really quickly, and then we're going to jump in. I just want to give these disclaimers because when we're going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, there's this built-in possibility for you to know what's coming the next week and go, oh, I'm going to be bored with that. (laughs) Right? I hadn't been a child in years. (laughs) Right? Done with that. Tried the, the parenting thing. Went okay, I guess. Right? Still, we'll, we'll see how the grade comes back at the end. Right? It's easy for us to check out. But I just want you to hear this, that today God's word is applicable for you. It has opportunity to grow and bloom in your life in a way that will help you flourish. All right? So functionally, there's a few ways. Even if you're not a parent, here's the deal. If you have the possibility of one day being a parent. right? Even if you go, hey, well, that's not me. Do you have friends that have kids that you want to be an encouragement to? Right? Even if you go, hey, well, really, that's not me either. Hey, well, you might be around a parent that has some kids in an airport, and they might be on your nerves, and you might need to know how to think about that. Right? You go, hey, none of that is me. Okay, so maybe none of my functional ties immediately light up for you. Hear this, because this lands for all of us. As we hear about parenting and about faithfully being a child to a parent, all of this is meant to mimic and beautifully mirror the relationship between the Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Son. Right, So if you go, hey, I'm not a parent, don't know if I'll ever be a parent, don't want to be a parent, I'm never going to be around somebody with kids because I like to sit at my house and watch Jeopardy. Okay, Whatever your deal is, right, none of that stuff matters to me. Hear this. Right? Jesus is the perfect son. And God is the perfect father. So as we hear about how the father is to interact with the kids and how the kid is to interact with the father, you have an opportunity to see the father who loves you and the son who loves you and what their heartbeat is towards each other and how that flows out towards you. 
All right, so just don't zone out yet. All right, sticking with us. It says this, Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. He says, children, thank you so much. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So first of all, who are these three verses talking to? Who is Paul addressing as he writes to the Ephesian church? Who is the Spirit addressing as he gives the word out to all of the followers that will cling to this text? He's talking to children. But you need to know that in the original languages, this word in no way is limited to some kind of age barrier such that he's only talking to those under 7 or under 12 or under 15 or 17. He's talking about children who are the offspring of parents and who still live under the authority of those parents. So that kind of opens the window up a little bit more. Now, of course, we saw in chapter 5, verse 31, that it's normal pattern that you'll reach a point in your life where the, the, the son leaves and he's a man and he clings to a wife and they start their own family. Right? But until you're in that place, if you're going to be married, or until you're in a place of singleness where you're going, I'm pursuing kind of setting up my own abode and my own authority and my own household, until you're in that place, it's assumed that you would fall under this idea of children. He says, children, I want you to do two things, two words that are kind of the focus in these verses. First of all, he says, I want you to obey. That word obey is really simple, right? If you're looking up definitions for that and trying to get it down just right, really simple. Just to do what you're told, (laughs) right? You're not going to have an easier word to understand, and yet we may not have a word that's harder for us oftentimes to do says, children, I want you to obey, but not just obey. I want you to obey in the Lord. So what does it mean, children? What does it mean for us, even grown children who have parents who maybe we no longer answer to them as our authority because our primary human allegiance is now to our spouse? Right, But how do we still embody this and respect these commands? He says, I want you to obey, but I want you to do it in such a way that you obey in the Lord. Right, understand this, that one thing we're seeing, if nothing else, is that obeying parents is about more than just moral yes and no. It's about more than just checking the box of done right or done wrong. That when you obey, you're to obey in the Lord, meaning in the the path of what Jesus would lead you to and for his glory and for his honor. So that when we are obeying our parents, be that as young kids or be that when we're grown up and we're still trying to figure out how to apply that a little differently, either way, when we're trying to obey our parents, it's not just a matter of moral saying yes to, to their commands. It's a matter of worshiping the Savior who died for you on the cross. You're doing something way bigger than you've ever imagined when your parent says to you kids, hey, go pick up your room, and you don't want to do it, and you hate it on the inside, and it's like, and you just want to explode on your plate to clean up my room. You're doing something that's bigger than just the relationship between you and your parent. You're worshiping God. See, chosen obedience is a gritty worship. It's awesome when we get to come and sing songs to the Lord. And it's beautiful that we live in a place where we're free to get to do that. And what emotions that can bring in us. And man, that's easy for us to do. It's awesome and it's incredible. But it's a gritty form of worship when I have to choose faithfulness in the way that I'm going to walk out my life. 
I, as a pastor, have unique and, and probably more opportunities than some others to get to see that what we choose to be obedient in turns out to have a much bigger impact than we might have imagined. <laughs> I drive away from moments and conversations regularly thinking, well, I just, I just hammed that up, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know what I just did there. That couldn't have been good. That couldn't have been impactful. <laughs> I'll never forget hearing a guy that I love, a guy that I had a chance to mentor a little bit, tell me several months later, maybe over a year later, after he came to know Jesus, we were sitting and talking. I was like, well, man, well, when was it for you? Like, do you have a clear moment? And he said, yeah, it was a Sunday morning, and you were preaching, preaching on Joshua. And, man, there was just something you said there that just clicked with the struggles and the questions I had had. And he said, man, sitting right there, I said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Man, can I just tell you the truth? Of course I'm hoping for people to come to know Jesus through the church, but I'd be willing to bet knowing my, my common mode of activity around that point in life, I was just up there hoping to not mess up Joshua, okay? Joshua is some tricky stuff. They do some weird stuff in the Old Testament sometimes by our standards, okay? I was just up there trying to be faithful and hoping that some principles would land and encourage people. Had no idea that God would let me be part of the flow of his grace into the soul of another such that they would not spend eternity separated from him, but they would spend eternity worshiping and celebrating him. No clue. I was accomplishing something much bigger than I had any idea. I was accomplishing something much bigger than I had my mindset on. And the picture is clear here that when we as children obey our parents in the Lord, so if your parent ever tells you to do something absolutely asinine off the wall that doesn't agree with Jesus and you know it, then you don't agree to do that. You don't obey that, right? So if they ever say, hey, listen, I know that you're nine, but I want you to drive this car 100 miles an hour while I sit in the passenger seat and look out for cops, okay? If, that, if your parents ever say that to you, you go, no, in Jesus' name, okay? That's what I want you to say, right? Right? If they ever say to you, swallow this sharp object and do it now, right? No, I don't think that's what Jesus has for me, right? But short of sin, obeying our parents and saying, yes, even if we don't agree, even if we don't see the logic, even if maybe our logic is right and theirs is wrong, as long as what we're being asked to do or commanded to do is not sinful, when we obey our parents, we're doing more than obeying our parents. We're worshiping the Lord. Hopefully that brings a greater sense of purpose to the moments when our moms or our dads say, do this. Quit doing that. Don't do that says, obey, children, obey your parents, do what they say in the Lord. You know who obeyed better than anyone? Their father, his name's Jesus. Remember him praying in the garden? He's going, God, I'll do this if you want me to do this, but if there's a different way besides me having to die publicly shamed and humiliated, stripped naked, beaten down, nerves exposed, bleeding, painful, if there's a different way, I don't want to do it this way, if there's a different way. But if that's the only way, then I'm in. Right? See, Jesus' gritty worship, his chosen obedience to the Father's plan, set you free from sin. <laughs> set you free from the penalty of sin forever. It set you free from the power of sin that we're learning how to live in, you and I. You have a different life. Hear this follower of Jesus. You're not bound to walking around in doom and gloom with your head drooped internally in your soul, beat down because you can't rise above the sin and the problems in your life. Life is hard, and we don't want to deny that, but Jesus is bigger, and all that blessing flows into us through the obedience of the Son. And he's saying, be like me. I'm not asking you to save the whole world. I'm not asking you to die on a cross. I'm asking you, even if that thing that you're saying may not seem offensive to you, just now's not the time, don't say it. 
I'm asking you, even if it doesn't bother you, there's mold growing on your bedroom floor because there's cups and bottles and chips and stuff all over the place. I'm talking about my life, not yours, okay? Just do it anyway if it doesn't bother you. You don't mind sleeping with rats in your bed? That's fine. Just clean up the room because my parents said so. Chosen obedience is gritty worship. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. Mimic Jesus in this. Then he goes on to say more than that. He doesn't only say obey. He says, honor your father and your mother. And so I love that he says father and mother. Clearly here, you don't get to choose. (laughs) You don't get to say mom's the sweet one, so I do what she says. But dad's the grumpy one, so I don't do what he says. Dad's the one who's a little bit looser with the money. And so if he says to do something, I do it. Because I know that he'll give me some money to get what I want. Mom's a little tighter with it, so say no. You don't get to choose. He says, honor your father and your mother. If obey is about the physical action, honor is about the attitude behind the action. To honor, in my simplistic terms that I talk to my kids about, is to treat something like it's special. It's to assess it in our minds and hearts as if this is a a top-shelf item, this is a top-shelf person, this is special and of high regard, and so I'll interact with it as such that it's special. I've done it. It's the classic thing. You've probably had it play out in your family. Maybe not exactly this action, but something similar. I remember being on the trip for vacation as a kid, and my sister, eight years my senior, sitting in the back seat with me. I bet she loved it, right? But we're sitting back there, and I remember just picking at her and just everything I could do, just touch her a little bit. And my, you just have to know my sister. She's, she's extremely, pat, like, like in a good way, like passive meek. She's not going to try to engage, try to make a big deal, but I just pushed her buttons enough that she was about to get absolutely sick of it, and she starts walloping me, and then my parents start getting on to us and they say, Jason, quit touching your sister. And what did I do? Anybody know? I didn't touch her. Man, y'all don't love me, do you? <laughs> what? I didn't touch her. What I did is what I thought most of us did. Maybe y'all touched. Man, what are y'all doing, y'all bad kids? I didn't touch her. What I did was get as physically close as I could to touching her without touching her. <laughs> right? Right? She's going, Jason, I said, I'm not touching you. Jason, I'm not touching you. They said, don't touch you. I'm not touching you. And then at some point, right, my dad's trying to be patient up there driving, trying to make sure we're safe in the car. Eventually, he hits his level. He's like, Jason, don't do anything close to touching her. Don't even look at her. Don't even breathe. And I was like, whoa. He just locked it down, right? He got done with whatever he said. And I'm like, I don't even know if I'm still supposed to be alive. You know what I'm saying? Like, all the stuff he said not to do are just kind of those things that happen, you know? Right, but it's that heart of outwardly I'm technically obeying, but my attitude is such as that the one who told me to obey, I really couldn't care less about what they told me to do. Just as a brief aside, really easy for us as people raised, especially in the southern Bible Belt South, to have that approach to God, isn't it? I'm going to obey because I know it goes bad for me if I don't obey. I'm going to obey because I know I'm supposed to. I'm going to obey because there might be some shame for me socially if I end up in the wrong place for not obeying. I'm going to obey because fill in the blank. But at the end of the day, I don't have a heart of honoring my high and holy king. So listen, obey your parents. That would be hard, but we could make that work. As long as we understood what they said, we can physically force our bodies to get up and do what they say. But, but what about this? He's reaching into the heart, into the attitude. He says, obey them, but obey them from a place of honor. Regard them highly in your mind and in your heart. You're going, well, I've seen the worst of them. I've seen what's not really worthy of being highly regarded. This all pushes us back up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. I told you, I think it's the window from which we see all this relationship talk. He says, submit to one another. Be subject to one another out of reverence to Jesus. 
Kids, don't follow your parents into sin, but in everywhere short of sin that they call you to obey, you obey and you choose in every way possible to treat them with high regard. They are imperfect, but they are eventually, as we grow and mature in Christ, is that we begin to understand that, listen, I don't just love their protection and hate their rules, but I understand that God's ideal and what God is aiming for and what God does in my life is that his rules lead me to even more enjoy his protection. One of my favorite verses, I'm sure I've spouted it out before, it's found in Psalm 119. It says, I will walk about in a wide place because I have sought out your precepts. What's that saying? It's saying, I have examined and sought out your rules. Teach me how to live. And when I did that, I didn't wind up bound in chains in a small cage. I got to run around in a field full of freedom. Right. When you have a God like that, you go, God, help me in every way that my sinfulness wants to rebel against you. Help me to honor you such that I want to obey you and that my obedience, even when hard, my obedience, even when it pushes against what I really want in my broken humanity, my obedience is a reflection of the honor that lives in me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother for this is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? What's the commandment? He's talking about the Ten Commandments here. This is the one commandment in the Ten Commandments that addresses immediately the family. <laughs> Probably because if you do this one, if you're faithful to honor this one, all the other things he would say about how the family should interact probably take care of themselves. Right? If you do this and then you do what we hear in verse 4, it probably works out. He says, listen, I told you, honor your father and your mother. And he said, this, this commandment's unique. It comes with a positive reinforcement. It comes with a promise. What does it say? It says that you will live long in the land, and it will go well with you. Now, before we get all mag magical up in here and think that we're going to stir up how long we live, we're going, how, if I obey enough, I could actually live to be like 300 years old. <laughs> if I always yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and do it just right, I could live forever. No, that's not what he's saying. Okay, I believe what he's saying here is this, not that no hardship will ever come your way if you obey your parents. We all know life is, is too real for, for that. I believe what he's saying here is this, is that no unnecessary, no unneeded harm will come your way. Nothing that, that God doesn't go, hey, this is necessary for you to grow. This is not something that you're choosing by your poor actions. There's something you need. That stuff will still come, but he says, listen, none, nothing extra will have to come your way. Your life won't be cut shorter than it need be if you'll just obey. Remember once as a teenager, just, just die, and I had actually helped set up this camping trip we were going to do one weekend after the Friday night football game. I remember not being allowed to go. My parents were kind of frowning upon it, and I didn't go. I was kind of stewed about that, kind of angry about that. Until about Tuesday when the police showed up on campus looking for the guys who'd been part of the camp out. <laughs> See, I didn't necessarily even love the direction of my parents, but I loved the protection that it brought me. Right? It says, honor your parents, and you won't be bringing undue things. You won't be shortening your life unnecessarily. You won't be adding burden to your life unnecessarily. Honor them. Now, I'm going to leave it to the Spirit of God to lead us all, especially those of us who are adults, into where all that fits, okay, in relation to our parents. But Paul's really clear in where it leads us in how we parent. How are our children going to know how to do these things to, to obey and honor? 
Not just know the words and know that they're supposed to, but how are they going to learn to actually do it? What does it look like when the rubber meets the road and they're going to do it? Guess who gets to teach them? Verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That first word there, fathers, in verse 4, who he's addressing, that word is in the original language is most often used to refer to the male parent, to refer to dads, and yet there are multiple instances where it's used to refer to parents in general, husbands and wives, moms and dads. Right? And so it's possible that Paul here is probably intending either directly, specifically his word, or just in your thought as he's just addressed fathers and mothers. He's saying, hey, listen, parents, I think. Okay? So if you're a mom, don't sit back and go, well, whatever he's telling dads not to do, I can do it all day. Crack my knuckles. Get excited. Right? No, this is for all of us. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Is that a verse we've spent a lot of time with, moms, dads? Is that a verse we've considered a lot? Can I be honest with you? There, there's a sense in which if you grew up like I grew up, you don't grow up thinking about not provoking your kids. You grow up thinking about how they're not supposed to provoke you, right? What does provoke mean? Provoke is that you're the cause or you're the catalyst for their anger. That there's a direct tie from you and your actions in your life and your interactions with them into the reason that they are anger and full of explosive anger and, man, I'm so angry. Like that comes because of something you have done. Now, let's be careful here because I already know what some of you are thinking. I can almost see thought bubbles popping up over your heads out here, all right? So does that mean then that as parents we never do anything that makes our kids the angry? <laughs> I can hear some kids, man, they're getting excited about quoting Scripture when they get home, right? I can just hear it, right? Be like, eat your vegetables. Don't provoke me to anger. <laughs> God says so, right? Does it mean that we as parents never do anything that we suspect or that we know will cause our kids to be angry? Absolutely, that's not what he's saying. One of my best friends, Clay, we were 14 or 15, and, and there was a convenience store just a couple of blocks from his house, and I'll never forget him saying to his mom, she had a, a, a Chevy Blazer sitting in the driveway. He said, Mom, me and Jason are going to take the blazer down to the store. We'll be right back. So he's not old enough to drive. So what did she say? No, you're not. He said, Mom, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. He said, no, Clay, you're not taking the blazer. He said, Mom, Jason and I are going to take the keys, and we're going to go in the blazer, and we're going to go over to the convenience store. And she again said, Clay, no, you're not. And he stood there for a minute. He said, okay. And I'll never forget because I thought the world was about to end. Clay walked over to the key rack, got her keys to the blazer, and we went and walked and got in it and went to the convenience store. I know. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I think I just heard somebody go, oh, I know. I know. Right? Now, Clay's mom, God bless her, she was an awesome Christian woman, so faithful to the Lord, so humble. But I suspect what was happening was, I know that if I push hard enough on this issue and say no, he's going to hate it and there's going to be an explosion. Either now or later, I'm going to have to deal with the results of my parenting. Did that honor God? Absolutely not. She honored him in a million different ways. An exemplary mother, but that moment we missed. God is not saying don't ever do anything that causes your child to be angry. Otherwise, they'll be eating ice cream three meals a day. Right? Otherwise, you'll never have a turn with the TV. 
You're going to watch so many three-minute YouTube videos, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to be like, can I please watch a sitcom, something that tells a story? I'll take a commercial, right? I'm sick of this. Why why aren't we watching people talk about stuff that I can do at my house by myself, and I'm just watching them do it and tell me about it, right? Anyways, personal vent, maybe. Lord, forgive. Okay, right? (laughs) Right, but if you're going to let them do whatever they want to do, if you're never going to take any chance on them being angered, you're not going to do a lot of the other things that God calls you to do as a parent. It's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that, I believe, a couple of things. One is that you would make decisions for your kids or give your kids leadership such that your intention is their anger. This might be a minority. It may not happen often, but unfortunately, I I feel like I've seen it before. It's heartbreaking. Maybe that parent is in such a hard place in life and they don't know what to do or they feel like the attention's on them or the shame's on them such that they'll pick at their kid specifically because their kid will get angry and everybody will have something to laugh at. It's funny when he gets frustrated about that, isn't it? God says, no. No matter what you're trying to escape or what you're trying to protect your own self from in this action, you're harming your kid. Don't do it. Right? It may be, hey, you've made me angry, so guess what I'm about to do? I'm about to on purpose set you off, and then we're going to see who's angry is bigger. Yours or mine. God says, no, absolutely not. God, forgive us as parents. So one would be that your intentional aim is the child's anger. The second one, and that would be maybe more seen in our patterns of life, is this. is that your ongoing parenting patterns are such that they would produce some deep-seated anger in your child. There's a lot of different ways we could go about this. I'm not a parenting expert. I mean, my kids, please don't ask them after service, hey, how did your dad miss the mark, right? Like, we'll, we'll be, we may be here for a minute, okay? So... I'm not here to be a parenting. I'm just trying to give you some examples of how we might do this. If our pattern is such that we show favoritism to one child over the other. right? Well, maybe this child and I link up because we really both enjoy this activity. Great. Enjoy it. Maybe this kid's into this and I don't necessarily get into that. Great. Learn to enjoy it. Learn to do your best to enjoy it because you absolutely enjoy them. Make sure they know that. Right? We show favoritism when you grow up as a child. Feeling such and knowing deep down, hey, I'm, I'm really, I mean, my parents love me, but I'm still a notch below brother or sister. Can you see how that might grow and bloom some anger deep in your soul? Some stuff you might have to work through for the rest of your adult life. Listen, don't show favoritism. Don't idolize success or recognition for your kids, right? Don't make an idol out of this is what you're able to accomplish so I can put it on my social media feed. I'm not a big social media guy anymore, but maybe I need to start back just so I can do stuff like make a status and a picture of one of my kids and go, hey, guess what? They didn't do their homework, but I still think they're stinking awesome. (laughs) Hey, she just said, yes, sir. Amazing kid I have, right? Well, wait a minute. They didn't win the state championship, right? They're not playing in tournament number seven this weekend, and they're the star. They're the MVP. They got the trophy and the necklace. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that stuff at all. I'm saying when that becomes our ultimate aim for our kids, we are setting them up to have a heart full of anger towards us because they see that their objectives that we have for their lives matter more to us than they matter to us, right? Don't idolize success or achievement. Listen, don't don't get on to them. Don't discipline them simply for being childish because guess what children will sometimes be? Childish. <laughs> right? There's a difference between disobedience and childishness. 
when a kid's toddling through the room and they maybe not heard everything you said because they're saying, I mean, that's, I did that last night, by the way. I, I'm just saying this out loud. And I'm like, that's probably me, right? But when a kid's just being a kid, that's not disciplinary action. You love them as the kid that they are, not as the adult that you're hoping they're going to be. You love them as the eight-year-old that they are now, not the super mature, super successful 14-year-old that you're trying to raise them up to be. Love them for the child that they are. They will find anger in their souls. I've got several, but I'll just, I'll just, just go here last, is that you don't offer love or use love, rather, as a tool. Affection and warmth from you is not given only when they've performed like you'd like. Only when they've been obedient. Your love and affection is headed in their direction all the time. Practical example of that. Listen, if, if you have to discipline, even physical discipline, if you're not a believer in spanking, I love you. Uh, I am. We can talk about it over coffee. We can still love each other. Okay, But I believe you're probably missing out in some ways. Okay, Just being honest. I still love you. We still good? Everybody still good? Okay, good. Right? You spank your kid, right? But you spank them under control, not out of your anger or your wrath. You spank them explaining to them, hey, you're getting three swats. Not, I'm coming in here to unleash on you. Right? Thankfully, we don't have to do much more spanking at my house. Right? But when we did, it was, hey, when it was done rightly, it was, hey, you're getting this many swats, and then we're done. And you get the swats, and then you know what you do? You hug the kid, and you tell them, it's over now. It's over, and I love you. It was so hard for me to do. I love you so much. Even when they displeased you, even when they've lived in dishonor, is your love still theirs? And do they know it? Because as best I can understand the gospel and the whole point of grace is that even when I've acted in dishonor and even when I've not brought a smile to my father's face with my actions just a minute ago, whatever it is, his affection is still radically streamlined right at me. If that's not the gospel that you know, then listen, there's a much bigger story at hand and you need to wonder if you've truly trusted Jesus yet. His affection and love is yours all the time, is your affection and love to your children, not just in your soul. And well, yes, of course it is, but would it be evident to them? Do they know? Is it hard? Do you feel like you're chewing nails to go, oh, can't believe you just did that? Hey, I love you so much. Yeah, it's hard sometimes because we're human. But it's more important that they grow up and that they reach adulthood knowing that they're loved than it is knowing that they did it right every single second, every single time. It says, don't provoke your children to anger. Instead of that thing that you shouldn't do, here's the positive command. Raise them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Listen, if nothing else, hear this. We as parents are supposed to raise our kids up. It means they're not supposed to just stay down here on elementary levels of faith. They're not supposed to just stay down here on elementary levels of, of education and knowledge. They're not supposed to stay down here on, on elementary levels of obedience. We are the ones who are tasked with raising them up. Right now it's the time of year. I, I opened up Facebook last night or the day before, and, and I saw multiple people, friends of mine, who were dropping off their kids for college, and they're taking the pictures. <laughs> the kid's sitting up on the bed. The parents are smiling real big. And in my head, I'm like, how much money are you spending? Today? How are you smiling right now? Right? Like, <laughs> How's that happening, right? But I saw a mom post this, and I'm assuming it was attached to the fact they had just dropped their daughter off hundreds of miles from home. Maybe it wasn't, but she just posted this statement. said, we're called to be shepherds, not chaperones. <laughs> right? I didn't get to interact with her. I didn't look up the, the word chaperone, but I, I'm just assuming my experience as a chaperone is I'm present if you need me. Come to me if there's an emergency. And other than that, I'm kind of watching to make sure that the, the wheels don't just completely fall off. 
Now, some of my kids' teachers may be like, that's why you're a bad chaperone and we don't want you to come do it anymore, right? But as a chaperone, I'm kind of just there and present. If you need some help, I'm not there to be the main instructor. I'm not there to give any rules. There's a whole difference between being a chaperone and being a shepherd because a shepherd has a destination. A shepherd has a responsibility for nourishment and protection and taking care of and getting a a baby you've all the way raised up to be a, a strong sheep. That's what a shepherd does. That's different. We're called to raise our kids up. Our focus is so fun when you're having that little baby for the first time and they're coming and you're painting the nursery and it's all going to be so pretty. That's fun. And let it be fun. I don't want to take that away from you. I'm glad that you're doing it and not me. Okay? If I never paint another nursery, I'm fine, Jesus. Right? That's a fun moment. Enjoy that. But understand this as parents, our focus is not on the nursery. Our focus should be on the the suitcase that we teach them to pack and carry into life. There's a day that they're going to leave. What are they going to take with them because of how I have raised them? It says raise them in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Discipline is an organized pattern. So sometimes discipline is a chosen organized pattern. It's I'm going to exercise this week. I'm going to eat differently. I'm going to say this or not say that. I'm going to check this website every morning before I start work. It's chosen action. Other times discipline requires that there be some punishment to help the discipline get in line. Right? You don't like it when it comes your way. I don't like it when it comes my way. I don't like giving it. Right? But it's required sometimes. Teach them to have structured patterns in their lives that seek God and honor God. And you do that not just by yelling from a mountaintop. Worship God. Sing songs to Him. Read your Bible. But come down on their level where they are and give them instruction. Sit with them and read the Bible together. And let them see you, Pastor Dad, when there's a tough question that's asked and you go, uh... I don't know. We're going to pray about it. We'll get back to you. Okay? Let them see you not know everything and still love Jesus with your whole heart. Right? Show them. Give them instruction in how to do it. Don't just berate them with do it, but teach them how all the things that the Lord has given. This kind of mom, this kind of dad is one who will sacrifice much, but who will have ultimately lost nothing because they will see a rich faith bloom in the hearts of their kids. They will see their kids benefit. Even if they don't follow Jesus, they'll see them benefit from this instruction. There'll be times where they're going, they're not benefiting at all. They're not doing it all. You just got to trust the Lord. He promises it, right? Ultimately, what I want you to hear more than anything is that our Father God is this kind of committed, patient, kind Father who's committed to helping you raise up, who's committed to you growing and walking forward, you're sitting here right now and you're going, I don't know how much more of life I can handle, how much more I can do. Guess what? You're not alone. He can do it. He can lead you through it. You're going, I want to grow spiritually, but every time I try, I feel like I get punched in the face. As a side note, please let us help. We want to help. We don't have all the answers, but we want to do it with you. And know this, that ultimately your father is there to lead you. Stop putting so much pressure on yourself to do it all right, get it all right, and run to the father and seek him. Let him lead you. This is who a father is. Nick and the team's going to come, and we're going to sing in response to God's word and to who he is. The question for you today is this, is if you're living life and your thoughts about God and salvation and sin and eternity, if those things center around, well, I'm trying to do good enough. As my unbelieving friend once told me years ago, said, yeah, I believe there's a place called hell, but I'm not going to go there because, I mean, I'm, 
try to do the right thing and treat people the right way. If that's your mindset, listen, I don't say this to you to embarrass you or, or make you feel small. That is not the gospel. That is not the message that Jesus died for you to be able to trust. The message is, is that he was a perfectly obedient son, even when it was painful to set captives to sin like you and me free, by trusting in him. And that when we really believe that, we will desire to honor him in our hearts and through obedience in our actions. Is that you today? Are you sitting here going, everybody in here thinks I know Jesus. The reality is I don't. Listen, if that's you today, you're not the enemy. You're not the little person who needs to feel small and embarrassed. We've all been in that place. You're loved here. Come find me when we're done. Check on that card. You'd like to speak with a pastor. But let's talk about what it means to know Jesus. Those of us who are sitting here today, we are followers of Jesus. Where do we need to be encouraged about the heart of our Father? Where do we need to be challenged maybe by the obedience of the Son? Where do we need to just be graciously led by our God in the way that we parent our kids? In the way that that relationship mirrors the love of God out to the world that's watching. May our families look different, not for the sake of our difference, but for His great glory. Pray with me. God, I thank you for your word. I'm humbled by it. God, I know that opportunities to feel defeated and hear negative scripts await me as soon as I make it home to try to be this dad myself. But God, you are worthy. You are worth it. You have proven your great heart as a father. And so God, I'm asking that you would help us as parents Maybe some of us are defeated and we need to reclaim your mission and your mode of parenting for our lives. Maybe we've yucked it up and and fallen and failed at it more than we even want to think about. It's painful to think about. But God, you are the one who does things like restore the years that the locusts have eaten. That you bring purpose even to our pain. God, would you help us to believe again? Would you help us to hope fresh in you? God, I don't know specifically what all you want to do in each of our hearts, but I'm asking you, God, to make it clear to each one of us and to give us the courage to respond to you in worship. God, I pray that maybe this moment in this room, God, maybe this afternoon in car rides home and in our houses, that there might be humble repentance and confessions and I'm sorry's that there might be bold affirmations of affection even where there's brokenness. God, don't just let us think about it, but make it stir within us until we walk forward in whatever you're calling us to. Show us what that is. Help us to live our lives for your glory. And let us experience great joy even in our chaos as we do it. We ask all this for your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite you to respond to God. You need to sit and write down something, a thought to take with you. You need to stand and sing with all your heart. You need to find some people to pray with. You may need to go get your kids, pray together. Whatever it is, respond to God.